Welcome to In The Loop Podcast, a podcast that is inspired by the breakaway roping lifestyle. I'm your host, Jordan Joe, professional rodeo athlete, NFR qualifier, and business owner. My goal is to promote the sport of breakaway roping, alongside with celebrating and highlighting elite competitors in and out of the arena. This podcast shares the raw and the real of breakaway roping, bringing you behind-the-scenes stories from competitors, producers, leaders, and the trailblazers, all sharing stories of the Western culture and the lifestyle that they live daily. Join me to talk about breakaway roping, the history, the present, and the future of our sport. If you want to be in the loop, you're in the right place. Thank you for joining us. Take a listen. Pam Minnick with us today on the show. Pam, thank you so much for joining us. Well, you know, you're one of my heroes. So, and I've known you since you were little. So it's my pleasure to be here with you. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. And, and isn't it such an exciting journey that we've been on? You know, I think back to the days when you say I was little, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but it seems like time is flying. I know. I mean, I look back, uh, you know, you think, I think, oh, that that happened yesterday. And then I look at the date on it and it's, I've got like breast collars and back numbers from 1997. And you're like that. And that's, you know, coming up on 30 years ago, 25 years ago. So when I say that, I mean, I think you were still in high school when I would go to Ropens and, and you and your mom and everybody, and we would come up to Colorado and go to those all girl rodeos and uh, spend a thousand dollars a weekend to win 250. And it was such a good time. It was a good time. I remember as a little girl, you know, that was one of the coolest things that we don't really have today that I wish we did was there was legitimate all girl rodeos from bulldoggers to bronc riders to steer wrestlers, uh, you know, all the things. And and we did it all. And you know, I, one of the most funny memories that I have is we went to Douglas, Wyoming mm-hmm. and I was little. And I remember we pulled in there and you had to have Coggins mm-hmm. and health and we didn't have either. And so we were like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll call the vet. And so I just remember I was like probably six or seven thinking like they're going to steal my horses. And, yes. and then what am I going to do? And so we were laying in the trailer that night sleeping. And, um, I just remember every time a golf cart went by, I just set up like, oh no, here they come, <laughs> you know, but, um, yeah, I mean, that was, it was really neat. And the ladies, the number of ladies that went to those rodeos. So let's talk a little bit about it. Like, how, you know, you were a huge part of that and, and not even as a competitor, but, uh, as a WPRA. So let's talk a little bit about that. Well, uh, Growing up, I uh, entered junior rodeos. Little Britches was the big deal around where I was. I grew up in Las Vegas, which is so weird because at the time, Vegas wasn't a rodeo town, and now it's hosted the National Finals Rodeo for over 30 years. Um, But uh, we had Little Britches Rodeo there. We didn't really have a junior rodeo association, so we would have to go to California, Southern California a lot for the Little Britches Rodeos. And that's when I started, you know, we goat tying, barrel racing, pole bending, breakaway roping were like the little britches things. Um, And then high school rodeo, if you high school rodeoed in from Vegas, 
you had to go somewhere every weekend because we only had one high school rodeo year in Vegas. And if you know the shape of the state of Nevada and Vegas is at the very Southern tip and everything else, everything else is up at the Northern part of the state. So it was 400 miles one way every single weekend. Fallon, Nevada, Elko, Nevada, Winnemucca, Reno, Battle Mountain. And so it was, uh, you know, my mother was like, really? We would leave on Friday night, rodeo Saturday and Sunday and come back Sunday night afterwards and go to school on Monday. And my mom who never rode a horse was beside me in the truck every step of the way. Didn't ever pull the trailer. So it was all on me that eight hour drive. And she smoked. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, but, you know, I think that's, those are the things that shaped us and made us tough. And I think those are the things that shaped the association too, because if it, if it would have been easy, then um, it wouldn't, it it may, we may, may not have had the stick to itiveness to make sure that it, perpetuated and carried on. And, you know, I, I look back to when I won the world. Oh, I should get my, my well, I'll, I'll show you. I'll send you a picture yeah. of it. My, my world champion breakaway roping buckle, you know. Um, so when, uh, which was on display at the uh, Cowgirl Hall of Fame when the NFR was in. Yeah, I remember. But um, that year, 1982, I think there were only four breakaway ropings the whole year. So you had to strike while the iron's hot. And the crazy thing is, is they had a rule in the WPRA and they still may even have it that you, they don't award a championship at year end unless there's at least three approved events, which makes sense that somebody couldn't just have one big event and, you know, win the world. But, um, but to look back on that compared to now, um, and it's not just about the money. It's about the amount of events, the amount of girls, uh, you know, it, it used to be, and I know that you've talked about this, you know, a lot in, in you attempting to reach out and get more approvals that, uh, it's just, there's just so many, so many places to go now and so many things to do. And, and it's just, it's been, it's, it's more than about the money. It's about the amount of girls that are competing. Right. Well, and I think one of the neatest things, like you say four approved events. Okay. Wow. Like I just was talking to Heidi Smith the other day and she said, you know, 2021, we had 215, give or take approved events and 2022 projected over 300. And so four versus 300, (laughs) that's quite a bit of drastic intake, but you know, one of the, one of the neatest things is, yeah, it was about the events and and it was about, you know, the the numbers, but there was a sincere, true love for the sport of rodeo in women and the tenacity that you went through to, to do it. You know, like, I don't, you know, I don't think people maybe understand the whole, like you drove from Fort Worth, Texas to Douglas, Wyoming or Colorado Springs, or, you know, I don't remember all where the events were, but one rodeo, one chance. Yes. You know, uh, one bullet. Oh, one header. Yeah. 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 The only, the, the only great, not the only, but one of the great things about team, being a team roper is that you could enter twice. So that therefore, when you went, you at least got two shots of it. Yeah. I just, I remember flying, uh, to South Dakota and then borrowing a horse from, uh, 
from Trina Hadley to rope at, you know, the rodeos up in Wyoming and South Dakota. And, you know, it, it was, uh, and if you won everything, you didn't pay for your plane ticket. So you definitely did it because you love the sport and you love the competition and you love the people that you were doing it with, you know, um, it's still a family, you know, I've seen things online, uh, recently, especially with the price of fuel that there's seven breakaway ropers in a rig going to out to the West coast. Now, um, before we did it just because we wanted to, now you do it because you have to. <laughs> before you did it because you had lots of friends and now you need a psychiatrist, some headphones, you know, and, and a lot of sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's talk about, you know, your world's champion breakaway roper, 1982. What did that, what was, what were the emotions and the feelings running through you at that time with, you know, going to the, the four events they had being the world's champion breakaway roper? What did that mean to you at that time? Well, to be honest with you, I was primarily a barrel racer and I just happened to um, have a, a really, really good horse um, that, uh, that I wrote, that I team roped on, um, and living in Arizona at the time, you know, that was before the number system, uh, you got plenty of exposure roping with really tough ropers. I mean, when I went to a rope and we were roping with Jake and clay and, and people like that. Um, and so when I would go to a barrel race and I had, you know, this cool little horse, his name was Byron, his registered name was jet yet boy, but, uh, but I got him from a guy named Byron Lejeune in Louisiana. So he, forever shall be named Byron. So, um, and, and he's buried here on our ranch. He died when he was 34. So, uh, he, he had a good life, but, um, you know, the, the biggest rodeo that I went to that year was Bakersfield and they had a breakaway roping at the, at the PRCA rodeo, you know, uh, where I was running barrels. And that really was the, the catalyst for me winning the world that year, because, and I still, it's so crazy because I still remember being in the box and the girls behind me, I don't even know who it was screaming for me to go because I was, <laughs> so I'm, I still am more, and that's why I'm a healer because I cannot read a barrier. And so <laughs> luckily I went at a good time and got my cap. <laughs> that's funny. Well, and I think that that's one of the coolest things about it too, is, you know, we, we being involved in it at this current time, it seems so new and so fresh, but it hasn't, it hasn't changed. It's just evolved. You know, you guys, when you were competing, were going through the same things. There were PRCA rodeos that did have breakaway. You know, one of my good friends, Jamie Markham always talks about Mac Altizer was mm-hmm. one of the first, um, you know, rodeo contractors that put breakaway in all of his rodeo events in Texas mm-hmm. and, and um, everywhere else. And so, it's, it's evolved and grown and it's so neat that it's in the spotlight now, but you guys have been doing this for a long time. Well, a funny story. One of the things that really, I guess, um, cemented my love for rodeo was an article that I read in the Western Horseman magazine when I was about 14 and it was about Jimmy Monroe. Um, and it talked about Jimmy Gibbs winning the AJRA and competing in roping and barrel racing. And, you know, at the time, like I said, I was just going to Little Bridges Rodeo. I was a little girl in Las Vegas. I never even dreamed that I'd end up living in Texas. But you talk about a common thread that's just crazy that that story when I was 14 and she would have been about the same age, um, 
you know, being a roper, being a barrel racer, being a cowgirl to now, you know, I served with her in the seventies and eighties, and I guess up into the nineties in the WPRA alongside of her as president. And now she's leading the organization again, having somebody, having that common thread and having somebody always that really at her roots is a roper, is a cowgirl. Um, and I, I truly believe that she is one of the reasons that uh, breakaway roping has continued to have strength and all girl rodeos has continued to have strength because there were administrations over the years in the WPRA that really didn't care if there was uh, any all girl rodeos or, or all girl ropings. It was solely focused on barrel racing. And so when you've had some leaders that did care about that, it helped the organization thrive. But that that story from when I was 14 years old and reading that Western Horseman magazine is is uh, is really kind of funny to look back on and have her leading the organization. I, I, how many years later is that? I'm 68, so that's 54 years later. <laughs> yeah, well, and and it's so humbling to know that there are so many people involved in our organization that have been there, have done that, they've lived it, breathed it, and they've come around and they're continuing to passionately help rodeo grow, help breakaway grow, help barrels grow, help the all grow rodeos grow and and putting back in. And, and that's something that I really, truly love is being able to give back to our sport. You know, yes, we're competing in it right now, but then, you know, down the road, full circle, coming back and giving back to the sport. And I think giving back is something that you hit on. That's going to be um, what the success of the future hinges upon. And that is that people are willing to do what it takes to continue to see it grow and not just feel like they're entitled. And I hear rumblings about that occasionally, and it gives me a little bit of heartburn and heartache um, because it almost reminds me a little bit of the Me Too movement a little bit. And I hope that, um, and I'm not saying that women should be satisfied to take a backseat to other things, but you've got to be willing to do just as much as you expect a committee or a producer to do for you. The girls have got to, you know, um, it's not automatic. I mean, it hasn't been automatic that we've had equal money in barrel racing. It's not automatic that there'll be, that there will include a breakaway roping, let alone have equal money. I mean, it's what you said is true. Giving back is going to be the key to the future. Well, and one of my favorite things that you've ever told me, so we, and I think with all of this and just the growth and the, the fast pace that it's grown, you know, it went from like 2020, we had maybe 20 rodeos and then all of a sudden like floodgates have opened, you know, get you a new Dodge pickup and, and load up and go. Um, but one of the cool things that I will always forever cherish is 2020 NFR at Arlington, Cowgirl Hall of Fame, you are there and you are interviewing the top 15 um, for as we come up, we get our back numbers and things like that. And um, there were so many emotions I remember. And I was just like, holy cow, we're here. We've made it. We're breaking through, you know, and, and one of the things I said on stage was, you know, I'm really, really proud that we're shattering these glass ceilings. Mm-hmm. And it was maybe a few months later, you and I came back and talked and and I said, you know, because because you have been so successful in what I would call a man's world. 
And I said, you know, what does it take? What, what did it take for you? And, and, and you brought that comment up and he said, you know, I've never put myself as a woman in a man's world. I've always been like, no, I'm just like them. I can do just whatever they can. I've never, I've never put that limit on myself and, you know, the, the, the me too movement kind of aspect. And it like, it knocked me, but man, it was the best thing I've ever heard. Cause I thought, you know, I need to change my perspective. They're not against us. We, we have made huge leaps and bounds, but it's not necessarily smashing those glass ceilings because really we don't have any limits, you know, instead Mm -hmm. of seeing myself as a woman in a man's world, like, Hey, I'm going to be one of them, you know? And and that was one of the best things that that I think that you ever told me and I'll forever cherish is in and out of the arena as as a person and as a career woman as well. Well, and, you know, I think, you know, we look at that because we work with, uh, with livestock every day and, Ty Murray used to always say horses can't read buckles, you know, and, and while an animal might know uh, what gender you are just by how soft you are, you might be as, as a rider. um, Yeah. I, I, I take exception to people that say men, women, I think that, you know, we're all human beings and we've all got, uh, we've all got challenges. And uh, now Strength and swimming, that's a whole different deal. I'm not saying <laughs> we're that not this, going there. We're not going into the <laughs> I'm just saying that, you know, work work as hard at promoting your event as you want the committee to work at having one for you. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And that's something I think we've been able to see. You know, one of the coolest things that some of the memories I have being able to rodeo and travel and, and compete at these events is the work and the effort and the time that these committee guys put into the rodeos, you know, and I guess I've been fortunate to kind of see that side of it as well, being a producer, knowing it it goes for, it's a year long process. You know, it's not a, like, I'm going to have her open today. And then tomorrow, all this stuff comes together. And so it has been very humbling to see all the work effort at each committee differently goes about it for those cowboys and cowgirls and puts their puts their heart into it and the culture of the community into it. Um, you know, I don't, I didn't go to a lot of perfs, but the ones I went to watching the grand entries, things like that. It's pretty humbling to know these people take their time to do that for us all year long. We just show up and rope. Well, and the other thing is, is that you guys get paid as contestants. If you place most of those committees are volunteers. And, um, and I used to, you know, and I know that that competitors are special, but I always um, I always say thank you to the guy collecting money at the gate or at the contestant gate. And yeah, when you're running late, it's very frustrating when they want to stop you. But you have to remember that guy's a volunteer and he's been given one job and that's to make sure that nobody sneaks in that gate. (laughs) And he doesn't know that you're a world champion or that, or that, you know, I mean, even when I was doing television, I can't tell you how many places I had to wait and get credentials just to get in. And, you know, it's like, you can't expect them to know who you are. So yeah, and you're like, don't you know who I am? And they're like, no, (laughs) being being appreciative. My mom always said, you get more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. So I I've tried to, to live by that. Let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, just the relationship that you've had with 
you've been Miss Rodeo America, you've been a world's champion, you've been broadcasting, you run a business successful Billy Bob's, all those things that encompass you. How did you get there? What What are some of the things that you would tell these younger girls or, or even girls my age? I mean, how, how, how do you get there? And, and what are some of the things that you look back and, and are thankful for? The biggest thing I think is the influence of my mom. She said, you can't use the word can't in our house. If, you know, it's kind of like Walt Disney. If you can dream it, you can do it. Um, she never rode a horse, but she made sure that that we had what we needed. Um, if she'd be stopping on her way back to the house and she was like, oh, I'm going by the feed store. Um, can I pick up anything? And, you know, if you asked for a halter, you might get a hoof pick, but, you know, but, but um, that's how little she knew about, about horses, but she, you know, she, she wouldn't let us say the word can't. And, um, and so it wasn't like, it wasn't like a tough love thing. It was just like, if you wanted to do it, you just did it. You just buckled in and, and did it. Um, and I look back now and even every single day I learn. And I think that being open to learn, um, is, uh, is just a a blessing that I was given because I know a lot of people are kind of set in their ways and they think this is the only way, as you well know, I've been doing this ranch riding thing the last couple of years and fortunate enough to win a reserve world championship two years ago. But, um, if I was the horseman now, or then that I am now, I think how how much better could I have been as a competitor? But anyway, so, you know, started out with my mom uh, being, you know, really a positive influence. Um, when I was Miss Rodeo America, I took it as a job. Um, I, I had a background in marketing and PR. I had worked um, at the Hacienda Hotel through school in the PR department. So, and most of my rodeos were booked by Cotton Rosser, who's the king of PR. And so that really led me into marketing. But that year when I was Miss Rodeo America, they had an all-girl rodeo in Spring Creek, Nevada up by Elko. And um, and they had me on the Johnny Carson show to talk about it. I had to ride a mechanical bull on the, on the Johnny Carson <laughs> show. Um, but at that rodeo, I tied goats and breakaway roped at that rodeo when I was Miss Rodeo America. And, um, and that, and that did a lot to shine a national spotlight on, on women's rodeo. And then shortly after that is when I, uh, joined the WPRA as a competitor because I'd been an amateur rodeo competitor and I ran barrels in the NCA, which is the Nevada Cowboys Association. And I was the first woman to win the rookie of the year in that association, um, the, uh, at the end of the year, they gave a, you know, a rookie of the year buckle and it had always been run one by a man because they had won more money in their event. But, you know, the funny thing is in amateur rodeo and still in amateur rodeo, um, uh, the women are kind of on an equal playing field because everybody pays dues into the same organization. Um, but anyway, so it, in 1971, I think it was, I was the first woman to win the um, rookie of the year uh, in that association. So, then from there, um, after my years, Miss Rodeo America joined the WPRA and ran barrels in the turquoise circuit and um, made the circuit finals several times and mostly a barrel racer until I started team roping. And 
Um, and then I lo loved it way more than barrel racing because it was something with my schedule of broadcasting. If I go someplace and I was going to be there for a week, I could go to somebody's house and go rope. You can't do that and run barrels. So that yeah. I think that was one of the things that I loved about team roping. So, and, um, and on the WPRA board that uh, through that period of time is when we went from being insisting on 25% of the purse to 50% of the purse that the men had to a hundred percent. And when I said insisting what we did, we work with the committees and these are conversations that you and I have had about how to do the same thing for breakaway roping. We worked with the committees to find a sponsor in that area to help them raise their purse because we didn't want to just say, no, we're not coming. Although when it got to the point, you know, at the Houston Livestock Show, I remember that where they were like, no, we just we can't get you up to 50 percent or equal money. And we were like, well, sorry, we, we have to take a stand and, and, and not compete there. But first, what we tried to do was go into the community and find somebody passionate that would put up that additional money to make it up there. So it wasn't just like, no, we're not going to do it. But um, the other thing that we did was we did polls where we asked people an exit poll. And the WPRA conducted these themselves, these exit polls. I mean, hired the, the people to do it. Where we asked, what, what are the two events that there were the most enjoyable to you? And it, invariably, it was barrel racing and bull riding. And so that, you know, helped us solidify um, our request. You know, I mean, we had data to say these events, you're, the people that are paying to get in your rodeo like these events. They're easy mm -hmm. to understand. And, um, and I think Breakaway Roping's got that as well. It's easy to understand. Well, and I love how you said the data, you know, and that's one thing I think we're getting more and more of every year and we're mm -hmm. able to compile all that data and bring it together. But, you know, initially this is a, the third year we've been involved at these pro rodeos. And so I think they've done a few exit polls like that, similar to like, I know Cheyenne did one and um, breakaway was the break breakaway and barrels. That was the two highlighted events that people love to see. The cool thing now is there's a lot of women on committees. It used to be you never saw women on a rodeo committee because the committees, for the most part, up until just recently, were volunteer organizations like Kiwanis and Rotary, which were primarily men's-based service organizations. But now you see women on committees, so it's not as hard to sell as it was before. Right. Well, that's a great point. And on top of that, you know, when you were talking about going out in the community, it sparked a, a thought in my mind. And I thought, what if, okay, say we have give or take 300 members in the breakaway at WPRA. What if each one of us went in our communities and found one of those people, even mm -hmm. just a lead and, mm -hmm. you know, sent that lead to, to some of our leadership in the WPRA? You know, I don't, I just was thinking what doors possibly could be opened for new sponsorship avenues. And, uh, you know, bringing that data that we already have, how that could then trickle on down and open new doors mm -hmm. for, for bigger purses. Yeah. And then you've got fans for life. And then they, it's just like, it's, it's, it's like the coronavirus. It just keeps growing. <laughs> <laughs> we use that in a good light. <laughs> oh my gosh. So tell me a little bit about, you know, I know one of the things that I've observed growing up that I truly, you know, just love is that the ladies that competed that were above us in, a, in your generation, the friendships were so pure and true. 
How do you create those relationships and how did you maintain them? You know, I know you and Debbie Garrison and Jamie Markham, some of those ladies are still really good friends. Like how, how did that evolve through rodeo? You know, I think that, um, but, but I'm that way with my, with even younger friends. I mean, I've got, you know, like Katie Kaufman, you know, Katie's half my age. In fact, I'm the same age as her parents, but, um, I think that when you're, when you have common goals, uh, people tend to be, and when you're confident about yourself, I find that usually when there's conflict, it's usually because of jealousy and, um, and usually when there's jealousy, it just means that somebody's not working, trying to work as hard because if you're confident, you're just as happy and I'm, and don't get me wrong. I hate to lose, but if I'm going to, if somebody's going to beat me, I hope it's one of my friends. <laughs> yeah. I know that's not a very good answer, but I just think that I've never really, I've never looked at, um, I think my biggest competitor is my own brain. Um, if I'm, if I get to an event, no matter what it is, I mean, I, the same thing, I'm going to a horse show on Thursday. If I'm prepared, uh, then what I'm working against is my horse and my brain because nothing else can stop me. Um, and, uh, it's, you're not, you're, you're not against a competitor. And it took me a long time to really understand that. I think, um, and, and a lot of that is watching people. One thing that I don't have that I wish I had was a shorter memory. Um, I've got a really short memory when it comes to rem remembering people's names, yeah. but I have a really long memory when it comes to making a bad run and beating myself up over it and letting it hang on. And that's one of the things that, you know, I go back to Ty Murray and Tuff Hedeman and people like that, that just were grinded out competitors. And they said that, and Trevor Brazil, another, another example of that it's the word of the day is next. You can't dwell on that. And I think having a short memory that didn't answer the camaraderie question, but these are just random thoughts going yeah. through my mind that you're stuck with now, Jordan. Thank you. Well, <laughs> and, but it, it does play into everything we're going through. You know, confidence is huge right now in, in everything you do, not just in the arena, but out of the arena and short-term memory. I am too, you know, trying to, to master and add that into to my game plan as well. But I think that's something as, as women, maybe we do hang on to a little more is, is the, maybe the negative versus, you know, looking forward and, and, and feed forward. Um, and I see, you know, I think social media has played a huge part in the comparison, the jealousy, the, you know, if I was this, I would have that kind of thing. Um, and, and I love how you said, you know, I'm against me and my horse and, and whatever I'm roping because that's all we can control. And so I think that that's something that I've seen, you know, along with some of the girls we're competing with is the younger girls. They're always comparing themselves. And, and, um, I, that's why I like to get the input of, you know, you were successful, you did it, you went through the mountains and the valley. So, you know, what are some of the things you held on to? So I'm really glad you brought that up. You know, you just touched on something that I think is, uh, and it, there, there will never be a way to solve it, but social media has has changed the game um 
and probably from a marketing standpoint, changed it for the, for the good. But like you say that, you know, there, there's a lot of people that are really, really brave behind the, the keyboard of a, of a cell phone or of yeah. a, a computer. And, and uh, the least we pay attention to that, the better off we are, I think. But, you know, you talk about longtime friendships. I mean, just like um, JJ Hampton, you know, JJ and I team roped, we never breakaway roped against each other, but, um, but we team roped and still to this day, I mean, if I went somewhere and, and she was feeling pity, she would still rope with me. So <laughs> <laughs> Now they have to rope with you because you're friends. <laughs> so talk a little bit about, I know you've touched on their names a couple of times, but some of the influential competitors that were the same era as you that really made an impact on your career. Um, I know you said Ty Murray, Tuff Hedeman. What were some of the lessons that they shared with you that really stuck other than things you've mentioned? Um, so the person that's been the biggest influence on me as a barrel racer is Kay Young. Um, not only a barrel racer, but a gritty competitor. Kay's now in her mid seventies. And she's still, if you're in the Stephenville area, she's still at a jackpot a couple of nights a week. She still got three or four horses in the barn that she's training, but she was so far ahead of her time as far as really training horses. You know, not only she went to the NFR seven times on six different horses. I mean, you know, some people are blessed to have one or two in a lifetime. And she's had six that she went to the NFR on and mm-hmm. countless other futurity horses. But um, she just, and she was the president of the WPRA at a time at a really crucial time when we were, you know, really struggling to even get 50% added money. Um, and, uh, and those people with that passion, but she still is somebody that I look up to as a horsewoman, as a no nonsense, no BS. Um, and, and people like that, that tell you the truth um, are the ones that, you know, and sometimes the truth hurts, but those are people that, that become your friends. But, but I've learned from, from champions, you know, champions in and out of the arena and people in other walks of life. I had a, a friend in, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, that was a motivational speaker and we're still friends to this day. Her name is Rita Davenport, but, um, she speaks all over the country and gets paid a lot of money just to chat like we're chatting. Uh, but just about time management and being positive. And, um, and I, I will say that I've never, I've, I've, I've never had times when I was, when I doubted myself, there were times when my time management sucked where I didn't know how I was going to accomplish everything because you know what my schedule is. I mean, I'm liable to do a, a TV show one day and be at a horse show the next and then try to go rope and take care of my sister, fly out to Vegas, take care of my dad. And oh, by the way, my husband just had back surgery and I, I have to make lists to get it all done. So sometimes I doubt my ability to complete it in a timely fashion, but I never doubt the fact that I'll get it done. Yeah. Well, and I think that that is, is true and it rings it and just even the, even your voice, you, your, the conviction that you have in your voice, you believe in yourself and, and not just, you know, I think that's one thing that we're, I'm learning and, and carries over. And I'd love for girls to know is it's not just in the arena. If you believe in yourself, it carries over out, out of the arena in all walks of life and everything you do. Um, so I think that that's really neat, but let's touch on 
I know you're a huge part of the WPRA within this transition. We've talked about it a little bit. We're in the hot and heavy of it right now. Um, we've had two big NFRs, one in Arlington, one in Las Vegas. Where do you see breakaway roping going from here? And what do you think are some of the best things we as contestants can do to help it get to where it's going to go? Well, to, to repeat what we talked about earlier, the best thing that the contestants can do is put themselves in the spot of the of the committee, of the people that uh, where you're going uh, and what what you want to uh, to get accomplished. Because if you can't find a way that could accomplish it, how can you expect a committee to do it? So as you approach these things and set those guidelines, um, you know, number one is money. It has to be with ticket sales. How can you help ticket sales? Um, you talked about a little bit about, you know, 300 people doing it. If those 300 people promote it on their social media, you're going to increase ticket sales. When you increase ticket sales, then you increase your added money. So I think the biggest thing that you can do to help grow it is for each each of those people that want to reap the benefits to put themselves in the place of the committee and say, how do we get there? So, and if you can't figure out how to get there, you can't expect anybody else to. So that's, um, you know, will it be in the performance of the NFR? I think so. I don't know when. Um, you know, when you have an event, uh, there's, you know, what, where are you going to have an event that you're going to have 16,000 or 18,000 people watching it? If they won't watch it at a standalone event, why do you think that you're uh, that you should be able to be there at the at at their event? Mm -hmm. So those, you know, building that fan base and figuring out what what it takes, the butts in the seats is what is where the dollars come from. You know, um, you know, big money team roping has proven that you know that you look at the BFI that when the when the best are there that they can fill a, fill an arena. PBR has proven that from the, from the standpoint of, uh, of bull riding, um, other events, you know, they're the calf roping at some of the big money head to head things, you know, they'll, they'll fill an arena. The, the events that have really struggled from a standpoint, frankly, of really standing alone and having, um, big crowds are bareback riding and saddle bronc riding. And I think that the reason that is, is because there's still a faction of America that looks at horses as my friend Flicka and Black Beauty. And so, you know, they just recently went through a lot and still are fighting it in California. You know, mm -hmm. there's, there's going to be times that, um, that PETA is going to rear its ugly head again. And that's, that's a challenge for the, for not only the PRCA, but for everybody. And that, and that's something that all of your members should be looking ahead to as well. And that's not so much, that's the great thing about breakaway roping because there, because the calf always gets away, but there's also something that should be addressed to these competitors. And that's how they treat their horse, because I've seen that you know, I mean, yes, we want them to run fast and stop hard, but the place to train them is not in the arena with all the eyes on you. Mm -hmm. And so these, you know, these are the lessons that have got to be learned to help that, that industry grow and continue to grow. One thing I've tried to do is I've tried to make, get like a circle of people that have no idea about rodeo and ask them questions. 
because they will be so honest and they have no idea whether they're hurting your feelings or not. And just getting that perspective of what they see from the outside looking in, that's helped me to change some things that I've done. Be like, oh, okay, this is how they see it. When this is what we really see and know is going on, they don't identify with that. And so that's been like a little fun data Jordan thing I've done. (laughs) In order to grow, we have to have more of those people because even with the cowboy channel, our nucleus is pretty darn small. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the only way to get more dollars into the purse is to get more new butts and seats. Because frankly, are you going to pay an admission to go watch an event like that? Most of us sneak in or we're there because we're a competitor. Mm-hmm. You got to figure out who's the guy that's actually going to put out, put down $25 to watch you do something like that. Yeah. Well, and I love that perspective and that's a great thought. And that's a trail. I think we need to head off on to, to continue to grow and increase our sport because we love it and we do it every single day. We devote everything we've got to it, but how do we reciprocate that on the other end from a fan side of it? So one thing I will say I've learned and I, you know, I know you do the gentle giants, which I so love, but Greg Vinnaclausen does a lot of the bucking horses um, out here at Timber Creek vet and Canyon And I have gotten to know, they have their own personalities. Yes. They're like, like killer bee. She's one Mm -hmm. of, she's in bareback, saddle bronc, horse of the year. Um, I can give her a cookie and pet her, (laughs) you know, and like, uh, you know, top hat, uh, all those, all those crazy, you know, fling, all of them, they all have their own little personalities. And, And so that's what we're trying to grow out at Timber Creek is to show the world that, Hey, you know, yeah, they love to do their job. And when it's cold in the morning, they're bucking just like, you know, Stetson Wright was on their back. And um, so that's been fun to, to experience and learn. Well, and the the Cowboy Channel has done a lot to, to bring out those stories because, um, and that's where the PBR was successful. They made stars of the bulls as much as they did the Cowboys, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and so and it's a man against beast. And the people were coming to see those as that. And so Cowboy Channel do that. But then we've got to make the Cowboy Channel grow because it can't be just um, you can't always preach to the choir. You got to get you got to get some new seats in your congregation. Yep. Yep. I agree. So anything else that we haven't touched on today that you would like to know? I'm just I'm just so proud of of the money that girls are making. I mean, when I see these just even you little jackpot ropings then went in three and four thousand dollars and I mean and what it's done for the the horse industry you know um same thing as our gentle giants you know the tv show that I do about draft horses um the uh eight years ago when we started this series eight or nine years ago a really good draft horse would sell for ten thousand dollars now it's 120, 130,000. And the same thing is happening, you know, for breakaway horses, team roping horses. Um, the whole industry has, has benefited. Now, what, what this uh, economy and the fuel thing is going to do, you know, for our industry, I don't know. It's going to make people a lot friendlier. They're going to be traveling <laughs> together. But um, it's just been so great to see this and, and, um, and I applaud your, you know, the girls that that are staying with it and and the new ones that are willing to, you know, like I said, I, I look at you as one of the young girls and now you're, now, you're, I'm old. you're now you're the veteran, but are are willing to continue to carry that torch because 
nobody should feel that like we started this podcast talking about nobody should feel entitled. They've got to figure out, you know, how you stay in that game, you know, um, and how you, and how you continue to elevate the game. Mm -hmm. If you had to go back and tell your younger self something, what would it be and why? Uh, I had to tell my younger self something. Listen more, talk less. (laughs) (laughs) But that will never happen. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, that's got you where you are today now. You got to be a little bit of a compromiser. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Pam, I have had such a great time visiting with you. Thank you for sharing your time and all of your wonderful knowledge and input. And um, I appreciate you for for joining us today. And thank you, Jordan, for everything you do. I, I said it in the beginning, you're one of my heroes. Well, you are one of my heroes as well. So we're in good company. Hey guys, thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, share it with a friend. If you haven't already, go follow us on all of our social media profiles at In The Loop Breakaway. And if you have any questions, go check out our website. Reach out to us at InTheLoopBreakaway.com. I really appreciate your continued support and we'll see you down the road.